Hello everyone, we hope you enjoyed part 1. Part 2 will begin right where part 1 left off. Also, be on the lookout, we do have a big announcement coming your way. Thank you all for your support. Now, back to the episode. Alright, the next topic Greg is going to lead us in, and that is going to be the odd number of no-hitters this year. Or is it that odd? Uh, I think it's completely odd. It's this is We've had six no-hitters already this year and we're only into basically the first week of June. It's taken, you know, almost entire seasons. I think there's there's been no hitters in a single season. There was 12 in 1884, which I'm not even going to count that because that that's a different era of baseball. That's a different style of baseball. That's Did you four. say did you say 1884? 1884 there were 12. They played Yeah, you heard him correct. You're not yeah. crazy there. So you mean baseball goes all the way back to like 1870? No, I know. Right. <laughs> could you could you imagine that would be like to take a time machine and go back and watch baseball in like the 1870s, yeah. 80s would be interesting. Anyway, continue. Sorry. <laughs> we then, might be actually good at the game. Then flash forward to the 90s when there was uh nine in 1990 and eight in 1991 so you gotta think nine really is the the magic number of no hitters throughout an entire season we're already at six and like i said that took from may through september to hit nine of those (laughs) so the fact that we're you know just two months into the thing we've already hit six and five of those no hitters happened within 23 days yep yeah that's wild yeah we're on pace to really hit 12, maybe even 16 or 18 possible no-hitters if this type of aspect occurs. Let me ask you this, though, because, I mean, I, I think it's crazy statistic-wise that, that there was three in that many days. But maybe we're thinking about it too much, and maybe it was just – there's our six for the season and it never happens again? Or do you think there's a possibility that we're going to get a few more before it's over? I, I definitely think there's going to be a few more before the season's over. Yeah. Uh, listening to yeah, like I think there's going to be more ESPN and, and just the analytics of baseball. Uh, the, the pitchers are, are able to dissect their pitches down to the, you know, the millimeter of moving their finger this slight little bit and, watch their rotation and dissect their rotation and over and over again and the ability to really dive into how to pitch there's one thing to to really study your swing and to try to angle your swing and to try to grip the bat differently but there's just so many different ways to throw that that baseball that I don't even think we scratched the surface of and you know I, I would even guess to say that in the next you know 10 to 20 years you're going to see entirely new types of pitches that that go past the curve and this this sinker and the fastball and the screwball and stuff like that yeah on that do you think um it could be like one of those like how it's like changing the game essentially like look at like basketball now like how you know teams don't have like a big man it's like a lot of three-point shooters and in football it's a big passing league now like is this like an evolution that's like we're seeing with the way they're dissecting and how these things are being analyzed now. 
I don't know if it's like changing because I think pitchers were always thinking about like placement and the the types of pitches were always developing over time. Right. I do I do think like what it I don't think it's pitching that's changing the game. I think it's going I think it's just the analytics and the stats that go behind it. Kind of like back to that movie, um, was it Moneyball? Yep. So just introducing all of that, you know, different kinds of data that they can collect. So like before a game, the starting pitcher can go in and look at, you know, all potential starters for that game on the other side. And they can, you know, (laughs) they can have a box just kind of like how in, you know, MLB, the show, yep. they, there's, there's a box that shows where people are hot and cold or where I know, you know I can throw a stinker in the, you know, bottom left corner and yes. he's going to swing at it and only connect at 18% of the time, you know, yeah. that type of aspect. So like somebody comes up and it's just basically they, they have their, their statisticians, who put all that stuff together and then the pitching coach can sit over there in the dugout and be like, okay, here comes up. So-and-so, all right, we're going to do these pitches and try to get them in these spots. And I mean, it's already, they said that it's like, should be physically impossible for us to hit baseballs, Uh, how close they are, how fast we're pitching it. Our brains shouldn't be able to process that information fast enough in order to hit the ball. So the fact that people actually do hit it is super crazy to begin with. And I think that's why there's, I don't know, like, I think that that's why they try to gather such a big pool of players because you just don't know who's going to get it at what time. You know, you look at somebody like Mike Trout, who's consistently been hitting over his career. I mean, that's, he's basically a a superhuman. (laughs) So, Well, I mean, I think, the, the fact that there have only been 311 no hitters even thrown, you know, in that in a hundred and what 45 year history of of baseball is one thing. When you consider that 30 teams, there's 30 some odd teams at 160 games a season, it works out to be like what around 4,800 games for for the season. Mm-hmm. So out of all 4,800 games all season, you know, and then times that by 145 years, we'll do that math real quick. Yeah, I'm not a mathematician. It's almost 700,000 games. That's a lot. Of, over yeah. six, 696,000 games, potential games. There's only been 311 no hitters. So That's wild. the amount is minuscule when you consider mm-hmm. that green that's just for yes. a normal season too yeah yeah well it's like i think that what's weird is just how close together any the the amount of no hairs thrown five and 23 days that's exactly insane i think that's the weird part other than the fact that it it, it just happens so well, i think i think no, i also, think sorry, go ahead, i think it's a combination of multiple things one, pitchers are throwing harder than they ever have. You know, if, if you're a pitcher and you're not throwing mid to upper 90s on your fastball, then you ain't pitching in the big leagues. I mean, there was uh, Jacob deGrom. He just came back from injury. His first 10 pitches in the game were over 100 miles an hour. So you got pitchers that are throwing harder than ever before, and hitting a ball is already tough. But the batters, there's no strategy when they get up to the plate. Mm-hmm. It's – 
they all they care about is launch angle and trying to hit the long ball. No one's up there trying to get on base. Just just get a base hit. You know, the, the you know, sacrifice small ball's gone. Yeah, small yeah. ball's mm-hmm. gone. It's all you know. You can go one for four, but if you hit one home run or you had three, you know, outs to the warning track, then you, know, you had a pretty good game. But it's it's all home runs and strikeouts now. So I mean, it, we we keep adapting the game towards the pitchers and the pitchers keep trying to they're they're getting better they're you know throwing harder they're working on their spin rate to try to get more movement on the pitches you know but in 1968 after that season they moved the mound back a little bit to benefit the batters there's been no change on the on the batter end there's no there's no strategy anymore every time that people can't hit the ball anymore they move the pitcher mound back or I mean now you're seeing a lot of the shift and you know, like I said earlier, the spin rate and pitchers getting better. Batters need to change. You know, you can't just keep going up and just trying to hit home runs and batting 168, but hitting 30 home runs and striking out 20 times or 200 times. Yeah. The, 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 the game can't keep going on like this. Batters, it, and it needs to be taught at the, at the lower level because, you know, kids, they, they watch pro baseball. And they just see them swinging for the fences, and that's what they try to do. And the coaches don't try to fix right. that. And then you get into minor leagues and colleges, and they're all teaching launch angle. We're trying to get your launch angle up so you can hit more home runs. No one's teaching, hey, if you see a shift, bump the ball down the third baseline and get a base hit. Or we got a runner on second, just hit it to the gap. Just get on base. Yeah. No, no, there, there's none of that anymore. Or, or, or play or try to – you know, get the pitch count up by foul, fouling off balls. Like if you know you're right. not going to be able to hit it, foul it off. Hit, just get contact on it. Because at the end of the day, like you said, if you get contact on it, you're going to be able to hit it into a gap. You can at least get it in the outfield and that, you know, on well, the ground. And, and, that's, and that's not even single. I mean, you're talking about like, because if you, if you can get the pitch count up and you can foul off three or four balls, they're going to give you a beautiful one right down the middle. You know what I mean? And yeah. That's, I and mean, that's the, just, the more pitches you face, your odds of getting – leaving one right over the middle or a hanging curve ball, mm-hmm. they just increase. But there's, like I said earlier, there's no strategy anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember when I was in high school, you know, learning like, hey, if you get into this count, try to expect, you know, this kind of pitch, you know, mm-hmm. or or this, look for this. It's all just, you know, how, swing how, it. If, how, if, far, how far can you hit it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Like, don't even try to guess what kind of pitch is coming. Just if you see it's in the zone, try to knock the cover off. Yeah, I, I think that's the biggest problem with the game right now. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, like, I, I've noticed, like, I'm pretty sure the majority of the time I've seen games, I can almost put money on that first pitch. The batter's going to look it in. Like, yeah. you know, I know sometimes you play strategy depending on the type of pitcher you're going against. But um, but yeah, like I was always taught when I played baseball, like you you just don't strike out looking like mm-hmm. The question yeah. I would go back to then again is, is this amount of no hitters, is this ruining baseball? The amount, the MLB viewership is, is down um, there. You know, if I'm not going to really want to watch a game that's just, you know, there's no offensive output going on. And unless you're really into that, again, the analytics of, of, of pitching, then you might, you know, get off on, on watching that pitcher hit pitch a no hitter, but it, it's going to yeah. become a boring game that people aren't going to want to watch. Well, I think, I think what mm-hmm. baseball 
did is like it's almost like when you look at, at football and how they were changing the way that they tackled so that they weren't leading with the crown of their head. So what they did is they started down at the youth level and they built it up. So, you know, after 10 years, yeah. they got a, a group of people that, you know, were tackling properly. So we have less of those spearing incidences where people are getting hurt or, or getting concussions or being paralyzed or whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, so kind of like how Dom said in baseball, they're teaching all the kids you know, just jack it, jack it over the fence, launch points, swing as hard as you can. If you strike out, that's fine. As long as you hit it as far as you can and it, you know what I mean? And that's, that's all that matters. And I can even see that, you know, now today. So it's like, I think that they were, they did that because what they saw was that people wanted those high scoring games. They wanted to see 10 to 11. They wanted to see teams blow teams out. They wanted to see all these home runs. They love that people, you know, were hitting, 60 home run 50 60 home runs in a season I mean look at somebody like Aaron Judge who was like what was his first or second year on a major league roster and he hit like almost 50 home runs or something like that or 50 home runs and that really excited people but what they've done is they backed themselves into a corner where like Dom said there's no strategy anymore they just go out there swing for the fences and if they you know go you know one for five with one strikeout three at the warning track and you know, one home run, then, then they're, they're an all-star. So it's like, it's just, I don't, and then that basically now has allowed the pitchers to take more advantage of this. And that's why we had five and 23 days. And I won't be surprised like if we have more no hitters this year than we've had in the history of baseball, just because it's all come to this boiling point and nobody. And unfortunately it is cool to see no hitters, but if that's all the game is going to be where we're going to have these one to nothing, two to nothing, three to four kind of games, I don't know, like you said, if people are going to want to watch it. And I find it funny that, you know, going back to that Moneyball conversation, we were talking about how, you know, Theo Epstein with the Red Sox and using all that analytics, mm-hmm. you know, to win championships and, you know, going to the Cubs is now part of baseball operations for the Major League Baseball trying to get rid of analytics. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Who knows at this point? I mean, well, the old saying is, you know, analysis or paralysis by analysis. They're, they, all these, you know, statisticians and analytic people, they, they've analyzed the game so much to the point where it's kind of gotten to where it is now. You know, they, they taught all the pitchers, you know, if you increase your spin rate, then your curveball is going to break more, your slider is going to break more. Your fastball is going to have a little, little bit more movement to it, and it's going to be unhittable. But then they also taught the batters, hey, if we increase your launch angle by a fraction of a degree, well, you're going to hit like 30 more home runs a year. So that's all that they're doing. So you got the pitcher's stuff as being more unhittable, and they've ruined the batter's swings because it's not a level swing anymore, so you're going to miss more. And it's all just home runs and strikeouts. Well, you know, there's only been – uh Nolan Ryan obviously hit through seven no-hitters. Sandy Koufax through four. Only three other pitchers have had multiple no-hitters, that being Randy Johnson, uh, Stiller, and uh, Roy Holiday have had two. No other pitcher has had multiples. And Randy John or not Randy Johnson, but uh, Nolan Ryan actually threw two in 1973, one in May and one in June. You think this season 
something similar will happen where someone's going to throw multiple. That's where I was going with that, where yeah, I think, I think that that's, uh, you know, you look at, you know, somebody like Corey Kluber, you know, Wade Miley, you know, those guys, it's potential to true throw two in, in one year. Yeah. And I never thought that you'd see that. You, you, you look at somebody like Nolan Ryan, who is just to me, one of the best pitchers of all time to have somebody be able to uh, accomplish that is just, it, that's, I didn't think I'd see it in my lifetime. Well, hopefully later on this year, we can kind of come back to this topic and see where we're at in a couple months and if we've added any more. But just to move on, David is going to lead us in the topic of the unwritten rules of baseball. I know he kind of wanted to hit on the unwritten rules of like a no-hitter in those situations, but obviously we might get into a few of the other unwritten rules in baseball as well. All yours, David. Awesome, yeah. So just real quick, I wanted to cover at least some of them. There's multiple. I don't know exactly how many there are. However, to name a few, you do, you have if you're in the final inning and there's a no-hitter going on, the odds are that there won't be a bunt because the unwritten rule is you don't bunt in the final inning of a no-hitter. Then there's also if you're leading a team by a significant margin, you don't swing at a 3-0 count now we can cover that a little bit later and some of the others include don't swing at the first pitch after the pitcher has allowed back-to-back home runs don't show up your opponent don't show up your fielders pitchers relieved mid-inning must stay in the dugout until the end of the inning and then throwing at hitters is a conventional retaliation which i find is interesting of sorts but that's just to name a few i was just wondering what some of your guys' thoughts are on the unwritten rules of baseball and just in sports in general is all personally i think it's well i gotta watch my language here i think it's really stupid unwritten rules of baseball is something that's always pissed me off um especially the not swinging on a on a 3-0 count now i know that's been a been a hot topic recently because i know um there was a big uh, fiasco with the White Sox and the Twins, where uh, the Twins had a position player on the mound and the White Sox catcher swung on a 3-0 count and hit a home run when they were already up like 15-7 to or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you about to ask someone to not do their job? You know, if <laughs> I don't care who you are, if, if it's a 3-0 count and I see a fastball right down the middle, I'm swinging at it every time because when else are you going to get another fastball right down the middle? Especially since right. it was like... It was like less than 70 miles an hour, wasn't it? Like it wasn't not well, it was like right. 40 miles but an hour. Also, 40 <laughs> mile an hour. <laughs> just but, just but like also, the best meatball right across the middle. <laughs> but, but also the, the game is not over. Like we in was it 2001, the Indians came back from a 14 run deficit or something like that. So like just because you're up big doesn't mean that you're gonna win the game. Like the game is over when the game's over. So I don't if if you get a fastball right down the middle on a 3-0 count and you have an opportunity to help your team win, I don't see any problem with that because who knows what's going to happen. The, the Twins could have went on, uh, on on a big run and came back and potentially tie the game or take in the lead in the, in the bottom of the ninth. You and, know? And to me, when it comes down to it, is that once teams started in, to incentivize play, that home run is the diff- possibly the difference that, like, if if he hits 20 home runs in the season, he gets right. a $250,000 bonus. So if he only hits 19, 
he loses out on that money. So of course I'm going to take every opportunity to to take that ball deep because that's extra money in my pocket. Right. And especially um, going back to the white Sox situation, the catcher that hit it, he's a rookie, but he's 28 years old. So his contract isn't that big. So if he's incentivized by, you know, if you hit however many home runs you get that this much of a bonus or his, since his contract's probably up at the end of the season, you know, saying that you hit, you know, 25, 25 home runs compared to 24 home runs gives you a little bit more bargaining power on what will probably be your one and only big major league contract. So not only are you helping your team win, but, you know, for a dude that's not making that much money, could help him out pretty, pretty nicely down the road. Yeah. And it could take it away from like the competitive nature aspect too. I mean, mm-hmm. you're on a team and, you know, say you, you hit that solid meatball coming down, like that's momentum shifter for like a potential comeback and just, yes. you know, to like lay it down and just, Oh, cause it's an unwritten rule. We're not supposed to do it. You know, like mm-hmm. momentum right. killer or morale killer. Or yeah. like, look at, like, look at the, the Falcons in the Super Bowl. I mean, this is, I mean, I know it's a completely different situation. They were in the second half and the game wasn't like that close to being over, but they kind of, they kind of slowed down. They were like, oh, we got this in the bag. Let's just control clock and, and be done with it. But like Nick said, you, you take that momentum away from yourself. Why would you do that? I mean, I understand that you don't want to like the, the, the players on the other team are going to remember that. Well, good. I hope they do remember it. Because they got their butts kicked and that's, that's on them. So they should do better. And I guess if they play again later on, then yeah, they should hopefully bring a better, you know what I mean? They they should play better the next time and it should be more of a challenge. So, I mean, especially if you're going to put a position player on the mound like that, he's going to get teed off on. Like, I don't really understand. It's not like this was, you know, Kershaw or Kluber or, whoever like one of the aces that was just getting teed off on. I mean, it's not, it's not even the same thing you put like, and that, that dude, I don't even know what position he played, but it looked like he was, he he was like, he's the uh, backup catcher for the twins. Yeah. He was a big boy. So I don't even know. Like, but like also if you're, if you're upset about it, maybe don't put yourself in that position in the first place where you have to have a position player on the mound. Yeah. Don't be like, Um, Hey coach. I can pitch because I'm a catcher. And he's like, all right, cool. And then you go out there and throw a 43-mile-an-hour pitch. Dude, I don't even yeah. know how he got it there. <laughs> like, but it's just aggravating. And then not to, like, take this conversation over because I know Davis was leading it, but another unwritten rule that always got on my nerves was, you know, retaliating by, you know, throwing at batters. Who – pitchers use it to retaliate for the littlest thing. Like mm-hmm. if you, if a batter, you know, does a bat flip and stares down the pitcher after hitting a home run, next time he's up, they're throwing, they're throwing at him. And like a hundred miles that, an hour, right? At hundred miles an hour. Yeah. We, we've seen, I mean, look at what happened to Kevin Pillar. He didn't even, it wasn't even intentional. He took a fastball to the face mm-hmm. and could have died. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, he had, he had a few fractures in, in his face, but we've seen players get hit in the head and die before. Yeah. So just because you got, you know, your feelings hurt because you gave up a home run and the dude did a bat flip doesn't mean you, you know, potentially, you know, ruin this man's career or, or worse, you know, again, if you, if you're going to get mad by someone doing a bat flip after a home run, 
don't give up a home run, you know, pitch better, you know, (laughs) (laughs) just be better at your job and you wouldn't be in the situation. How do you, how do you feel about the unwritten rules of baseball, Greg? Like, Kind of, uh, I think the, Dom the said. retaliatory pitches go a little bit. Um, I kind of look at it a little differently. I think that, yes, there are some that are petty, and yes, there was a bat flip, but you look at some of the deep seated rivalries that go on for years and years and years. I mean, I read an article the other day, and I can't even, oh, I'll have to look it up and, and tell you guys later, but. You know, a pitcher waited like three years until he 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 faced that batter again, and that first time, you know, the, he he beamed him, you know, and like to hold on to that 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 anger for three years. You know, a lot of it comes down to articles in the paper and interviews, and you know, you just you start talking crap, and you know, some. Like I said, some you know look at the Yankees, Red Sox, and it's just it's it's just deep seated in in the the team rivalry itself that that um you know sometimes you just need to hit a guy just to make a point. I guess is the fact. But does it? But does it need to be like in the head? I mean, I guess like I guess my thing is I, I can I can of, understand the I can, amount of beans to the head is is minimal a lot of it's gut shots and a lot of it's leg shots and stuff like that the stuff the stuff that connects but sometimes there's there's pitches that don't connect whether they're trying to hit him in the head and either goes too high behind or they're able to get out of it out of the way of it because it's in front of them you know what i mean so i guess i guess my thing behind it is like it's part of the game you're gonna have the batter you know rush the mound you're gonna have brawls you're gonna have you know the benches clearing sometimes you're gonna have pitchers that are gonna you know intentionally try to hit batters I get that's part of the game that's part of the rivalries and stuff like that but I mean you a person being able to throw a ball over 100 miles an hour or close to it I mean that's about as deadly as a weapon as you can get I mean it's almost like if you know, Aaron Judge or Mike Trout or somebody went and swung a bat at you and, and hit you somewhere with it. So, I mean, we're just like, I don't know where the line is drawn and being like, yeah, that's cool. Or I guess that's necessary or it's part of the game. Or when we kind of get into the point where we're like, all right, that's not cool. That's not okay. There has to be something done to, to prevent those kinds of situations. You're talking about pitchers that are throwing pitches. They can pinpoint a, pit, a pitch on the corner you know, I guarantee some of those ones that have hit those guys in the head maybe have gotten away from them, but they're they're throwing those pitches to to scare them. You know, not to to really not to really inflict intentional harm. Harm, yeah. But but at the end of the day, the the umps can tell when it's when it's intentional if they know that the pitcher has some beef with the batter and the first pitch is like, you know, really high and inside. You know the the rep the umpire is going to know it's intentional and you're going to be kicked out of the game and probably suspended. Yeah. So uh, I mean, it's great that you're sticking up for your teammates, but you're doing more harm to your team, especially if you're a starting pitcher. And the first pitch of the game, you know, you're intentionally throwing at a batter, getting suspended for multiple games. So now, the, you know, the first pitch of the game you're thrown out. Well, now your bullpen has to pick up the slack and pitch the rest of the game. Now you're not going to be available for your next one to potentially two starts. So if your team is relying on you as a starting pitcher and now you're not available for three games, 
Um, it sucks that your team gave up a home run or whatever to have some drama with the batter, but now your starting pitcher's gone for three games. You know, it is a retaliation by throwing at the batter worth it. All righty. Well, we will go into our last topic. So I did want to kind of get gauge your guys' opinion. I don't know if you've been following it or if you know anything about it, but I would say, you know, it probably started back in, I think it was 2017. Um, and then it's kind of grown into what it is today where, you know, social media influencers within boxing. So we had like, the like Logan Paul versus KSI. They're both YouTubers. They had their two fights. And then you've had Logan Paul's brother, Jake Paul, who has had his couple fights that he's had. And then he has another one this year. So he'll have had like three when this one comes out three in the past, like 15 months or something like that. And they're getting high views. So like the Jake Paul versus Nate Robinson fight was also part of that Tyson um, Roy Jones Jr., um, where they saw where they sold over a million pay-per-view fights. You had the Jake Paul Ben Askren fight, which had almost 1.5 million live viewers. And then even back in 2017, 2018, I believe, were the two Logan Paul KSI fights. They totaled over two million live viewers, and then they've had over 150 million reviews on YouTube. And just the amount of money in and everything that's generated from that. And then Logan Paul's fighting Mayweather in what, like a week or something like that. So it's just one weekend. Yeah. So so I just kind of wanted to gauge what you guys felt it it's impact on the combat world was because obviously we're having not just them, but other people are starting to jump on this train. There's a whole YouTuber versus TikToker event (laughs) where they're going to box each other and it's scheduled to be kind of on par with these other ones where they're going to have, you know, a a million or more people viewing it, watching it and stuff like that. So what do you guys think it's doing to the boxing world? Do you think it's kind of, or the combat world? Do you think it's helping? Do you think it's drawing more attention? Do you think it's making it more of a spectacle and not, not a spectacle, more of like a, a show or an entertainment thing? And, and less of what it's supposed to be, which is, you know, two people trying to kill each other. What do you guys think? I'll actually start on this one. Well, I do think that it, it's mostly for show and for money. I think at the same time, it's also helping boxing in a sense. Because before Jake Paul and Logan Paul kind of came around in this whole like YouTuber versus actual boxer or YouTuber versus YouTuber boxing matches, no one was ever really talking about boxing. For the most part, boxing was pretty much a dead sport because of like UFC and MMA stuff. Because the last significant person, other than maybe Floyd Mayweather every now and again, was Mike Tyson. And he hasn't fought since, well, before the most recent... (laughs) <laughs> uh, fight that he had. No, we know what you're talking about. Literally it, it like since the early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. When he retired. Or the nineties. I don't I don't remember when he retired. But he ever since he left, the sport's pretty much been dead. So while yes, I think it's mostly for show and for money, it also is helping the sport altogether. 
Um, yeah, I agree on that. Just like, I feel like with social media nowadays, like it just blow like the hype is just blown, you know, blown up. So it gets all that attention. And because it's, you know, it's action and that's what people want to see. That's grasp people towards that. So it just naturally, you know, grasp brings them towards that specific show, either whether it be boxing or MMA. So it does, I think it is helping that in a sense, but I agree with you how um, on the media side, it is a money grab. Yeah. I, I'd agree for the, for the most part. Um, I mean, it, I'd give it more credit. These were mostly recognized fights, but I, I know the fight with one of the Paul brothers versus Mayweather this weekend, it's, it's an exhibition. So mm-hmm. whoever loses, like, there's no, there's no consequences. There's not even going to be any like judges there. No, You know, it's just going to be, you know, Hey, pay to watch these two people punch each other for a little bit. And, you know, and enjoy the, enjoy the well, show. And I heard that that was Mayweather's clause was that it was a no, there was a no winner clause. Well, don't forget so, Mayweather's almost what 50. Yeah. He, he's in it. He's in his mid forties. So like, so, yeah. so if he, if he what, walks what in, there in there and he, and he gets knocked out by this kid, he doesn't want to, I mean, but the problem too is like you, you sit there and if he loses, there's still, people are still going to count that. Like just, just because it's not official, they're still going to, they're still going to count that. Like if he goes in there right. and, and clearly he gets, he gets whooped up by, which I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen because I think he'll just, he'll just rope a dope him for, you know what I mean? Five rounds and then he'll put him down like he normally does with everybody. But I mean, <laughs> it's like, right. I think but that's I mean- super interesting that he chose to, that that was his clause that he wanted in there just in case, which <laughs> is interesting well i mean now it's it's nice that it's bringing more attention to the sport but now you got all these youtubers that think oh i can be a professional boxer and they've never really fought before in their life and now they're you know training three three to six months for a fight against a dude that's been doing it his whole life i completely agree it delegitimizes the actual sport of boxing and to counter Mm -hmm. what dave said earlier if if you haven't heard of Tyson Fury, the mm-hmm. dude's a beast, and he's yeah, he's a knockout machine, and he's amazing. And yeah, I, I, I agree that you know hasn't been somebody you know as bombastic as Tyson and Holyfield and all that in in you know twenty some years. Um, but Tyson Fury is is the future of what legitimate boxing is is about. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying earlier, these exhibition matches it delegitimizes the actual sport of boxing that people are going to go well why would i actually want to go to a regular boxing match when i can watch two buffoons hit each other for a couple rounds and and i might get on youtube or i might get you know this many likes on on instagram you know and it's going to turn it into what unfortunately i mean no offense to any of the wwe fans out there but it's just going to become a mockery of what the actual sport is you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to be anything more than just just a game or no longer game it's 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 just how many likes and how much money can i get out of this i think the start of that could have been back in 2017 the money fight when mayweather fought conor mcgregor like Mm -hmm. he's another professional but from a yeah. different, you know, fighting style, different 
And it's like, well, that, that was very underwhelming. Cause like, Mayweather, Mayweather walked away with like 50 mil from that fight. Yeah. They both walked away with, with yeah, with a ton of money. money. So, I mean, like I will, I, I will say this though, Greg, to your point, I do, I do agree that if we were talking about this back in 2017, 2018, that I would say that this is, you know, kind of leaning towards that. It, this is causing a mockery to the sport of boxing. But seeing how much, like, you know, a specific few of these people from YouTube or whatever have, like, put in over the past four or five years into training for it, I mean, that's all they do. They, uh-huh. they that's, that's basically they – they funnel all their money into training and trying to become professional boxers, whether or not, obviously they're getting a ton of money off of it. Cause you look at somebody like the Paul brothers, I think each of them have almost 50 million followers on YouTube and other social media platforms. So they have that whole thing that they can tap into. And I think that that's just, that's just their way of making money. But I mean, the, the amount of training and effort that's gone into, especially with the two of them, I think that they're trying to take it seriously. Now I do agree. Like you get this YouTuber versus TikToker event. I think they're, they're making a mockery of it because they're just trying to jump on the train that has already been rolling and make all this money off of it. I do think it would be interesting to see like what, what boxing events will be, will become because it's definitely becoming more of like, what, what can we add to boxing to make it so that more people want to watch it, to make it more of something that people want to go to or more lively? I mean, you can look at Dana White in, the, in um, UFC. I mean, he basically bought his own island and he's building his own like fight island yeah. to make it more desirable to go to these fights, to have an experience, to do these kinds of things. Because yes, as fun it is to watch people punch each other, kick each other and, and whatnot, it it wasn't enough for some reason, you know, up until 2019 from probably like, you know what I mean? 2010 to 2019, you, you saw like just slowly that it just wasn't enough anymore to watch people try to kill each other. <laughs> you needed to add more to it for some reason. So you guys so, are too young to, to know Foxy boxing or when Danny Bonaducci fought Greg Brady from, you know, they've, they've had these, these, mockery fights for years and years and it it never seems to stick and it, it's it's almost cyclical that it goes away for a little bit and then comes back and and you know my prediction for this jake paul floyd mayweather fight is that jake's gonna i don't say for lack of a better term kick his butt but they're gonna do it they're gonna find a way so they can have another one it's there's gonna be yeah. multiple fights they're gonna find a way to make this so mm-hmm. that whatever they've they've monetized this aspect of we can just get in front of people and and we're just famous enough that people are going to want to watch and pay us money and and it just turns into just money grabs i think my biggest problem with it is you know it's fine if you know you were doing a career for a while and you want to you know become a professional fighter and you and you you know devote your life to that and train and you work your way up from the bottom and work your way up to the top. Don't just, you know, train, you know, lift heavy in the gym for a couple of years and then say, oh, I want to be a boxer. I can beat up Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. Like, I don't know. I, I would, I would, it would be more legitimate to me if, you know, one or both the Paul brothers worked their way up and got to the top instead of almost, just. 
pretty much cutting like everybody how, and getting to the top. Yeah, almost kind of like how Jake is doing it, where he's making his way through fighting MMA fighters, and then he'll eventually work his way into boxing and stuff like that. Because I did, I did find it really weird how like, like Logan Paul fought another YouTuber twice, and technically they it was a uh, no decision the first time, and then the second time he lost. So he hasn't even he doesn't even fought any like a real he hasn't even fought like an MMA fighter like Jake right. fought and, and he fought, he fought another YouTuber and he didn't even win. So now all of a sudden he gets to fight Mayweather. That was one thing too where I can agree where it's yeah. maybe it, it definitely is a money grab because he looks at it and he's like oh you know Mayweather's like fifty million followers cool bet that's another cool like twenty thirty forty million for me in the bank. Yep. And I'm I'm set for my life. Even even if this kid racks me in the face, that's fine. I'm gonna walk off into the sunset. And to Greg's point, you know, screw it. If <laughs> if he knocks me out or he beats me, or it looks like he beat me, then I'll just rematch him and be like, screw it, and I'll get another 30, 40 million out of it and have a good day. And, and on top of that, the guy literally just moved to Puerto Rico, I think. The Paul brothers did, yeah. Didn't yeah. one of them just fight like Nate Robinson, the like former basketball player or something like that? That was Jake Paul. He put him to sleep. <laughs> like, I, like I, sleep. I give you no credit. He put him to sleep, bro. Lights out. I get that. Great knockout. Sure. The dude wasn't a fighter. That He was a retired basketball player that at the age of like 38 is like, hey, I want to try to but, you know, uh, pick up MMA here. But And you know what? I will agree that Nate Robinson and I think when watching the fight like after he got knocked out Snoop was like you don't play boxing like you just you just don't play boxing and he even said it like Snoop Dogg is for whatever reason he's like that he's Dude, super big he, know, he knows so much about everything because <laughs> he knows so much about boxing he's so much into that world now which I which is awesome I love to, to have that different perspective but he he's super big on the Paul brothers for whatever reason. Like he thinks that their dedication to it is like he I don't know. He's fascinated with it. But he definitely said don't play boxing. And for whatever reason, I don't know why Nate decided to fight somebody who was like, I mean, Jake's a lot taller than him. I mean, it'd be like it'd be like me trying to fight Steve or something like that. Like that would make zero sense. But, but, but Nick, money talks. you would, you would fight talks. Steve if somebody says, here's one hundred and forty million dollars. <laughs> Right, fight Steve. That you is, walk that is true. Him, I walk I let Miles Garrett stomp on my face for 150 million bucks. <laughs> but, the, but the problem is, is how how do you how do you even go about your day to day life then after that? Because you literally got knocked out by an ex Disney star, now YouTube influencer. Like I don't, I wouldn't put myself in that situation. Like money can cure he, he's a lot of different himself. hangovers, buddy. He's laughing himself <laughs> to the bank. That's for sure. I, I don't think Nate Robinson, I think he is, he's definitely wealthier, but I don't know if he's happy with it as much as like Ben Astrin, Jake Paul, because I think he knocked him out too. Like, I don't think he's as happy as him because did anybody else see how soft Astrin looked walking into that fight? Like, he looked like he just rolled off the couch after drinking uh-huh. a few PBRs and eating some Cheetos. Probably and, did. <laughs> and he was like, Probably after did. the fight, he was walking out laughing with his wife. He was laughing to the bank. That was definitely a money grab. But I think Nate Robinson actually thought he could go in there and beat Jake Paul. And Jake put him to sleep. Like, done. Like, he was like. He well, was he out. woke up from his nap. He woke up from his nap multi-million dollars richer. And I'm sure he felt a whole lot better about himself. Yeah. Right. 
<laughs> All right. Well, to kind of close it off, any final thoughts everybody has on our topics that we've gone over today? We'll go ahead and start with Greg on the end and kind of work back through. No, it was a great group of discussions. I think we all had different perspectives on it. And uh, thanks again for Nick uh, R for coming in and joining us. It's very appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just want to say thanks to Nick for coming in on the show. And yeah, I thought everyone did well today. Yeah, guys. Um, thank you uh, for having me. And I really enjoyed the show. And I'm pretty sure Snoop's also a Steelers fan. Is he not? Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. had to throw oh, that out there. don't feel there it. There you go. He was, black he and was yellow, black and talking. yellow. <laughs> his head, he doesn't head, need, he, his head doesn't need to get that much bigger. I don't, yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, J, JC can keep the Browns out of OTAs, training camp, week one, two, three, four, five through 18. I don't care. <laughs> I can go all the way, baby. Let's go. <laughs> well. Nick, you just changed my opinion of the of the episode we just did. Oh no, <laughs> no, no! I'm kidding. Overall, i I thought it was I thought it was a really great discussion. I really liked just how wide range of topics that we had mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. made the conversation really interesting, and you know, I had a good time. Same, yes, sir. And just kind of echo the rest of the guys, Nick. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for, you know wanting to be a part of this. And like I said, I hope it didn't scare you away. And I hope that you come back on more. And I, I know the listeners will will uh, agree with me because you definitely fit right in. So just to everybody else who's listening, just be on the lookout. Make sure to listen super carefully to this episode because we, we did drop a little bit of hints in there. And then we will be dropping more hints throughout the week in posts and everything as well too. So again, thank you to the guys. Awesome conversation. Thank you to everyone listening. And as always, we are Deep Dive Sports. Until next time. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more, feel free to listen to past episodes and look for new ones every Friday. And don't forget to follow us at deep.dive.sports on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for any update. And please let us know what you would like us to take a deep dive into next. As always, we are Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.